On this episode of the Three Beers, Two Guys, One Movie Podcast, we're delighted to be joined by our first special guest, Mr. Joe Fine. We give our marquee picks for our favorite dystopian films of all time. We discuss Waterworld, and then we spin the wheel for a little bit of fun and give our ratings and pick the movie for next week. So, let's go! guys one movie podcast the always fun the always entertaining the always slightly buzzed movie review show as always i'm joined by the always loquacious and verbose mr rod budman and preston barnes but today <laughs> we have a special guest our first special guest on the show we are joined by scholastic royalty the <laughs> finalist in the alabama state geography b in middle school mr joe fine how you doing, Joe? Gentlemen, <laughs> gentlemen, I, I cannot explain to you how excited I am to be on this podcast. Well, I mean, we know your time's incredibly valuable. You're studying maps. You're doing all sorts of shit with your geography degree or whatever. But we are so happy to have you on. We're reviewing today Waterworld, a 1995 cult classic. I think it's best known for having the biggest budget at the time of all time. And then kind of, you know, to use an appropriate word, a little bit of pun, tanking. Uh, <laughs> but it eventually became profitable. Uh, but before we get started and before we get into our picks, like everyone knows, we want to encourage all of our listeners to uh, go rate our podcast on iTunes. Give us five stars. Uh, write a review. If you write a review, we will read it on the podcast, no matter how funny, no matter how like crazy, insane it is. Just do it. We'd really appreciate it. So what we're going to do to kick off the show... Our picks this week, like everyone knows, we always try to do a little bit of uh, selection of some picks that always correspond to the movie. So since Waterworld's sort of set in the crazy future, dystopian future, we are picking our favorite dystopian movies or TV shows of all time. And since we have a special guest on, we're going to let Joe Fine kick us off. Joe, go for it. It's the Marquee Pick. Okay, so I kind of went the comedy route for number three. You know, I I know how this is a you know highfalutin, highbrow podcast here, and we were trying to do you know art, as they say. But I, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this is the end, the 2013 a classic with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Man, um, I actually thought that was pretty funny when uh, it came out. Um, and you know it gets a good seal of approval when I buy it on Apple. So um, I thought it was pretty good. What do you guys think? Um, I 
kind of wish I'd had that on my list, but um, I couldn't agree more. I, I remember seeing that in the film <laughs> in the uh, theater, and I just laughed my ass off because you got all of those like hilarious, you know, uh, two thousand comedy actors together with Seth Rogen, James Franco. Well, he's not really that funny, but uh, <laughs> Dan, Danny McBride, um, I thought, I will say, anytime Danny McBride showed up in the film, I thought it was like the funniest parts, especially when he had that back and forth with James Franco about uh, about jerking like, off, yeah. just jerking off. He's like, I've been jerking off all over your house all day long. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, that I, that is, yeah, that's a comedy I've seen multiple times. Uh, I actually watched it like a few months ago. It's it's so funny. And, Great pick. Yeah, well, and kind of, you know, with our feature film this evening, you know, huge, not that big of a uh, production cost. You know, this movie only cost $32 million to make, but it grossed over $126 million at the box office. Um, yeah. As opposed to Waterworld, which we'll get into <laughs> later. But, it's the um, anti-Waterworld. Joe yeah, coming I mean, in with some like uh, budget research facts here, so we always appreciate the financial side of the film reviews. So, oh, well, <laughs> not only is he a Rand McNally, he's apparently a big budget guy. Yeah, just a Renaissance man in all sorts of sense. Uh, well, when Ron, you've got the Wikipedia pulled up, <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never seen the film, and it's, I feel like it's one of those things where I just sort of missed the moment, and it never sort of came up. I don't feel like it comes on cable. Or has it yeah. had been on Netflix, no. had been on HBO, or had been on like like I would give it a chance there, but I I just haven't even thought to rent it or buy it or something like that. I missed the moment yeah. when it was in theaters and it just hadn't really been free, so maybe I'm a little bit cheap or a little bit greedy or something like that. But I just never have seen it. I, well, I it think kinda, I think it. it kinda, go ahead, Preston. I'm sorry. Well, I was just say it kind of came out in the middle of all those other ones that were coming out, and I mean it, it get get like Pineapple Express. It kind of gives you a similar vibe as far as all the action. Um, and just where a lot of the comedy occurs when the, in those like huge moments of chaos and they're just like screaming ridiculous shit and saying things under their breath. It's hilarious. So, All right. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, if you're going to do a quarantine film, it's kind of a weird, you know, everyone's stuck in the house together for a week kind of movie. So it's, it's kind of one of those movies where if you're looking for a movie to watch during quarantine, where you've been stuck with the same people for weeks at a time, the plot of this movie features around eight dudes or something in a movie in a house for you know a week or two at a time so that was it would be a good movie to watch during quarantine all right good quarantine pick yeah exactly all right so we'll move on we're gonna let rod go to his number three pick then we'll go preston and then we'll go me and we'll wrap back around like we usually do so rod you want to go with your number three favorite best dystopian movie so my number three favorite dystopian movie is District Nine. Has <laughs> um, any, any of y'all seen that? We need no, that uh, shit from Preston. I have definitely seen it. It's a and really it was, good. It's on my list. It's um, it's. I'd say. I mean, Preston, would you agree? It's kind of not what you expect when you start it. For sure. Uh, it definitely. Uh, surprised me I, I didn't realize how they were going to set it up as like this mock documentary style and it made me you know, like uh, well for, for one it made me wonder if like some of it was true which i know there's been some talk about like if it was based on real events whatnot but um i think once you see it you probably think no but it's still uh, it's still really i mean it's really good peter jackson was involved um 
I'm forgetting the actor's name. He's got to be South African. He's definitely yeah. It takes place in South Africa. Um, trying to look it up, but it's it's really really good. Shalto Copley. <laughs> Who's that? Is uh, that the actor? Uh, yeah, he he um, <clears throat> is the he starred in it. Yeah, he's yeah, from South yeah, Africa. He's from South yeah, Africa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's from South Africa. He was in Maleficent <laughs> and Chappie. I don't know what Chappie is. Oh, I know, I've seen that. Um, so yeah, um, that... it's really good. I, I would suggest y'all go see it uh, <laughs> as soon as you can. It seems yeah, like it's really... based on um, like apartheid South Africa, but it's more like in a an alien type thing, so that seems interesting. That's yeah. very uh, analogous. Is that how you say it? <laughs> analogous? Uh, that we will accept. Analogous. It. Yeah, it's um, Matthew, I feel like you would really dig it. Yeah. I, w- I mean, I know my dad and my little brother recommended it to me, and it's always something that I've always sort of just had on the back burner to watch, but I guess I just always revert back to form and rewatch stupid movies that I've seen over and over <laughs> again. So, so I can just, you know, tirelessly trance on the internet. Yeah. <clears throat> um, all right. So we'll move on to that since obviously some of us haven't seen it. Some of us have uh, Preston, let's move on to your third one and then we'll keep going a little bit quicker. Maybe. All right. For three, I had district not, I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. For, uh, Let's see. So, okay, I gotta switch that out. So, for number three, I'm going to do the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which was oh. the second Planet of the Apes of like the recent trilogy. So, not Rise, not War, but the one in the middle when you already um, hated on James Franco earlier. So, you picked the Planet of the Apes after James Franco was in it. So, I guess you're just not a big James Franco fan. You know, I actually, uh, having met him at the <laughs> airport, he seems like a very swell human being. Yeah, because uh, he was a marquee pick of yours last week or two weeks ago. But he's just not a great actor. I feel like he's what, got a full bit. What film? I don't even remember that. Bro, he's uh, got a lot of range. Pineapple Express. Get oh, out. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Saul Silver. But anyway, I, uh, this, I love this um, movie. It was definitely one of those films you want to see in the theater. Uh, the opening scene was awesome and kind of like scared the shit out of me because I really wasn't ready for it. Um, but um, if you haven't seen it, has, who has seen it? Who hasn't seen it? I have seen it, but it's been a very long time to be perfectly. Yeah, I guess it was 2014. I've not seen that. Have, yeah, you, have y'all seen uh, the new the new ones at all? Which I didn't think was that bad, but I have seen yeah, I've seen all three of them. It's just been a little bit of time. I wouldn't say they were the most memorable things in the world to me. So I, I yeah. or maybe they all sort of run together. I kind of like the third one though. Yeah, the third one's good. I mean, it's I think they had uh, Robert uh, Budman's favorite, um, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I, I liked I, I mean I thought the first one and the third one were really good I just something about the second one everything's kind of like um, already you know in play like it's the, the last one it kind of ends everything and it's a little drawn out um, so yeah that's just inbred that hemp seed yeah <laughs> yeah Woody Harrelson all right. I think 
I think Joe has seen this movie. I'm not sure if anybody else has, but it's Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like a 1980s classic, kind of the exact same premise that's, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Not, I was thinking mock, The Hunger Games, but it's a Stephen King novel made into a movie in the 80s, and it's basically uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is framed for something that he gets uh, imprisoned, and then what happens is the biggest TV show in America is where they put prisoners against sort of like these fighters and they have to fight to the death kind of thing. It's, it's the exact same premise almost as the hunger games, except instead of randomly selecting people, but they select prisoners, but it's not a great movie, but it's just full, 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 full of Arnold Schwarzenegger, crazy dumb puns that he says in the most Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) dumb acting way possible. So I don't recommend it as a movie. I recommend it just if you want to laugh out loud at some of Arnold Schwarzenegger's lines, I really do recommend just sit down and watch it because it is hilarious. I see it also has Jesse the Body Ventura in it. (laughs) It clearly can't go wrong. Yeah, I love any movie that you re- that you recommend for the memes, not for the film cinematography. <laughs> well, there's the, there's literally one scene where there's some guy who's called Sub Zero, who obviously I think they stole a lot, they didn't steal from Mortal Kombat, but Mortal Kombat stole from this. But he's like an ice hockey player that's like a big brawny dude that like has like a ice hockey stick that's made of like blades, and so mm-hmm. they throw the they throw the prisoners into the ice skating rink, and he slides around and like tries to kill him or whatever, but obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger kills him, and he looks up to the camera and he says, oh, Sub-Zero? More like Plane Zero. Shy. Do you think they gave him uh, you know, like the right, like, did he, did, did Arnold get to write that line, you know? Or, or he had, like, God, I, I can't imagine if he had, like, stupid. he had ten different choices, like, the writers were like, uh, and then they just were like, Plane Zero is the best thing they could come up with. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you want some really bad puns and delivered by Arnold Schwarzenegger, that movie is great. Alright, so we're gonna move on to number two. Uh, I, my number two, this is actually kind of recently just came out, and it's the end of the current Wolverine setup. So Logan, uh, it's sort of kind of an X-Men movie, but it's just stars Wolverine. And I'm actually kind of blanking. I forget the dude's name who stars in it. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. But if you like X-Men movies and you like really, really gritty real movies that are super, super bloody, this one is fantastic. It's, it's there's no more like it's no crazy special effects. It really is just like a down and dirty, like this dude's using his claws to kill every single person around and he gets maimed yeah. and beat up because he lost his healing power in it. It's really good. I thought it was the best X-Men movie that's come out recently and it's it's fantastic. Okay. You know, I never saw it, but it always gave me that vibe of like the later uh, like the Christopher Nolan Batman films. It's very similar. It's similar to that, but it's 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 way 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 more like gritty and raw especially way more bloody i don't all the christopher dolan ones were like pg-13 this one's r-rated and it's just violent as shit like he kills so many people but he doesn't i I wouldn't say for a good cause but you know he's trying to save this girl who's sort of like kind of his daughter or whatever but that's just what happens they get sort of caught up in this mess and he has to save this girl and there's so many people coming after him so (coughs) that's your uh... Water world, sort of trying to save a little girl because she's important, kind of thing. But uh, Rod, have you seen Logan? You ever seen I that? I've not. I've not seen that. <laughs> Rod has not seen Logan. All right. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna move on. I guess it's so. It, my 
what to me. So back to Preston. Preston, uh, you're number Back two. to me. Um, for my second pick, I'm going to go with uh, a film called V for Vendetta. Ooh, I almost picked that one. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> takes place in Britain. So, Joe, we know you've seen it. <laughs> um, first off, yeah, who all has seen this film or yeah, know about it. it? I'm sure everyone has. Yeah, so this is one of those things that came out in college, I think, that everyone went out to see. Is so, Natalie yeah. Portman in that? Yeah, yeah Natalie Portman is in it. Actually, no, and, uh, it came out our uh, fall of our senior year of high school. Okay. So, wow. Well, but close to the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, 06, yeah. Uh, you got Hugo Weaving as V. Uh, I guess Hugo Weaving's a big uh, dystopia type actor because he's in plenty of dystopian movies, it seems. But, um, yeah, that movie's it's just badass. It's just a great, great film, great fight scenes. The... I guess you could call him a bit of an anti-hero. Um, well, speaking of, of, I was just talking about Logan, which is super bloody. V for Vendetta is incredibly bloody because he has these sort of like blades that he throws as almost boomerangs, but he's got like a, it's like a, uh, what, like, what do you want to call it? Not a metallic, but uh, shit, I can't even think of what the name is right now. Uh, a magnetic sort of appeal, right? So he throws the blades, right? And they come back to his wrist. Am I making that up? Or oh, like, boom, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they're like, yeah, he's got, I mean, he's got like all kinds Ooh. of, as far as blades go, I mean, he's got ridiculous skills and, um, and I'm pretty sure he like teaches her how to do a lot of this stuff. I don't know. What I, remember. I think he, it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome type of situation where he almost indoctrinates her into like following his beliefs. Oh, for it's sure. a very that kind of odd. Happen. It's almost like. You kind of wonder if the validity in terms of if he's a good guy or a bad guy, but he basically convinces her that his revolution is justified and she follows what he wants to do and tries Stockholm to like blow syndrome. up parliament or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That was a great psychology term that I just threw in. Um, yeah, well done. We'll move on from there then. Yeah, so we're going to end on a high note there with Stockholm Syndrome. Rod, your number two <laughs> pick for your favorite dystopian movie. My number two pick is going to be the Truman Show. What the hell? <laughs> you didn't have that, Preston. That was my number one pick. No way. So now I have no more picks. Right? Um, well, I think since we have four people here that we're going to have a little bit of, you know, uh, same pickage type action, but that's fine. Go ahead, Rod. Tell us why you love the Truman Show. Because I think it'd be crazy to wake up and everyone's watching you on TV. <laughs> I feel like that was made in terms of thinking in the future but also without projecting <laughs> without the terms of like projecting the current reality of like the internet and always knowing what's happening so he like he has to live in this bubble without wi-fi where everyone else though could constantly watch him it's sort of like yeah. he <laughs> i don't know if you could make that film in today's society with it making almost even though it's obviously not believable in a sense but like you couldn't make it seem even close to believable the suspension of disbelief would be too much, I think. If you if you released it today, you'd have to make some real adjustments. Joe, have you, yeah. What, yeah. what are your thoughts, Joe? Uh, yeah, I think you know it came out in 1998, so we were still dialing up at that point. Um, <laughs> and we're still and, yeah, 
it kind of resonates with you know their cameras are all around us today it kind of feels like we're on, in a tv show ourselves like so much of our lives is documented on social media you know like you feel like you can go back and look at photos from years ago now to where you know 20 years ago people couldn't really look back at their life like that so i think that we're all kind of living our own little truman show to be honest and you know it's kind <laughs> oh of weird that 20 God. years ago <laughs> you know in seaside they came up with a movie for that so i like the pick yeah Bob. <laughs> geography guy super deep uh but yeah no I, I didn't realize it was 19 i didn't realize it was 1998 that's actually a really i mean it's a 22 year old movie it feels like it was more recent than that but i mean cheers to them for almost projecting into the future so well uh you're right preston do you have some thoughts to add on truman show before we move on um you know not really but i i, I think it's in some ways, it seems like uh, they're going for, like, here's this utopian vibe for this man. But I think um, the more you uh, watch that film, the more you kind of see that like, it, it really was about perfection being very imperfect. And, you know, just kind of a, it's just kind of a random. I, I, I think what I, when I first saw uh, Truman's show, the only thing I could really associate with it was the fact that it was in seaside for so many years <laughs> so like, I, had, I had to go back and watch it again just to like get beyond that because it what it did come up uh, come up in our childhood and a lot of us used to visit that place and it was you know they've got like plaques and posters and pictures of it all over the city or yeah. town i mean it's a place that seems a little too perfect uh right so right. I, it's one of those films you have to see multiple times to kind of get get the you know, the, yeah, and if, if you've been there, you definitely understand the tone of the film more if you've actually spent a little bit of time in Seaside. Oh, um, sure. Joe, Joe, so we'll go to your number two. It feels like it's been forever since we talked about your number three, but let's go on. Joe finds number two pick for his favorite dystopian film. Okay, when I'll go. I'll go a little Sorry. similar to tr the Truman Show, and I, and I'll throw out because um, Truman Show is actually on on my list as well. So I, I'll go to my number. You know my B, my beta pick, which is uh, <laughs> which is Pleasantville. <laughs> so similar. I was about, I was searching for the word. I was saying it was remind me of Pleasantville, and then you just threw it out wow. there. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Reese Witherspoon and uh, Toby Maguire from back in the day, um, kind of centered around everyone was in black and white. You remember, and you know if you masturbated or like had an orgasm or something you you colored yourself so you became in color so, and don Knotts was in that film just yeah that was a good one yeah gosh great casting with so, toby mcguire and reese witherspoon they're about like as vanilla as you get oh, yeah. <laughs> perfect perfect for that that film I remember having such an issue with the fact that, again, it came out when we were young, but the, with the fact that it was black and white. Just like, oh, yeah. Uh, I, was, I can't watch hell? this. I really haven't seen that movie in a long, long time. The only thing I distinctly remember is them making every single basketball shot. Am I thinking of the same movie, right? Or is that basketball team like where they just make everything no. from every single distance or something like that? No, you're right, um, Matthew. That's just before when while they're in black and white, they can't miss. Right. Yeah. And then, and then once, they're perfect. Yeah. And then once there's they're fallible, that's when the color starts to come in. You know, that's when it becomes interesting. <laughs> it's uh, it's got a, like a I guess it's thematically it's very similar to his Dark Materials. I don't know if you guys have read those books or seen that uh series that just 
was on depicted about those that just aired on HBO this past fall or whatever. Yeah. But it's very, very similar premise. <clears throat> All right, so we'll move on. We got we're, we're gonna stretch a little bit for time. So Joe, your number one dystopian pick, your favorite it's, one. It's got to be The Matrix. <laughs> I don't know how what other film you could pick. Uh, it's the quintessential. It's the seminal work of dystopian film, in my opinion. I mean, you've got Keanu. Um, Keanu. Got, uh, <laughs> um, Morpheus. What's his name in real name? Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence oh, Fishburne. On. You had Hugo you weaving, weaving again. Yeah, Hugo weaving. Um, yeah, Shade yeah. of pink. It. Oh yeah, uh, smoke. That movie, yeah. that movie was a little like mind bending. I think that came out when we were in high school, right? I think the, that maybe came out in middle school. So it was like mildly philosophical, but enough to like sort of melt our middle school minds or something like that. Yeah, it came in '99. It still melts my mind. But it also had crazy special effects for the time. So like you said, '99. That's insane. Those those sort of like bending moves to avoid bullets. I feel like still hold up. Because I've got one on my yeah. number one, I feel like has special effects that hold up. But you're right, Joe. This, I mean, I actually didn't even think about the damn Matrix. So that's a crazy good pick that I feel like I just completely left out of my mind. But what do you think? Let's uh, before we move on. What do you think about the sequels? Do you think the sequels hold up, or do you think they're good, or do you think they're bad, or what? What are your thoughts on those before we move to um, press rod or presence? You know, uh, it's it's been a minute since I've seen the whole trilogy, but it. it from my recollection, it wasn't like it was terrible. Like you were trying to watch, you know, Jurassic Park four or something compared to the first one. Let's not uh, diss Jurassic Park four, but go ahead. <laughs> come on, come on now. Come on, some of us are JP fans. Uh... <laughs> no, but I think huge, they were. I mean, John Williams is fan. <laughs> I think they were cool movies. I mean, if you're on a long plane flight, throw one of them on. You you won't regret it. I feel like it started at its apex and it definitely went down a little bit. But yeah, look, we'll not throw Jurassic Park into the mix. But the, the first one is definitely the best uh, by far. I can watch the first one all the time. I'm curious to know what the, the new one's going to be. I, reboots can always be just a giant mystery. They can either hit or terribly, terribly miss. I guess I'm going to have a 10% chance of success and a Matthew Scott 90% chance of failure. <laughs> Take it to the bank. Yeah, take it to the bank. All right, Rod, you're number two. I mean, you're number one, sorry. Number well, one, dystopian. Is, it's my number two one pick because The Matrix was also at the top of my list. Damn. But I figured that uh, with this crowd, we'd have some... some <laughs> the Matrix has. <laughs> so my number one is Fern Gully. And oh. it may be a little odd, but I love it. Did we read that book in middle school? I know Rod didn't attend middle school with us, but did we read that book in middle school? Or was it, I'm thinking maybe the Redfern Grows, which is We way, definitely read way, that. Yeah, so maybe Mr. Johnson was trying to indoctrinate us a little bit, but I don't. I can't actually remember <laughs> Fern Gully. Fern Gully's got like a little like fairy, like Tinkerbell, mm-hmm. but she's a male and they're cutting down the forest and it's basically like, it, I think it's, um, analogous for uh don't cut down the rainforest yeah so some environmentalist vibes to it do you have you yeah, guys like, seen like Bullet? yeah yes I, I i really haven't seen it so i'm a little bit lost preston have you seen Ferngoli or what are your thoughts or are you stuck here i'll pick that up uh, I, it's been <laughs> myself <laughs> but um 
but yeah, no, it's been it's been since I've been a kid since I've seen that. But I remember it being, you know, like one of those Disney films that were trying to teach kids to, you know, be an environmentalist, like Captain Planet and all that stuff. But it, it was a great movie. Respect nature. Don't throw your coke cans in the forest. Don't leave your napkins without yeah. properly recycling. Captain Planet was awesome. <laughs> Rod's Bird. number one B pick is Captain Planet. The Actually, live action yeah, movie. it's Captain Planet. <laughs> I don't know if that's just Ted Turner uh, created that by himself in his basement. Yeah, I think so. All right, so we'll move on. Preston, you're number one, and then we'll wrap it up and get to our discussion on Water World. Well, with whatever. Um, well, guys, I mean, you know, all my picks have been chosen, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of uh, struggling here to find a new one. Um, so, uh, you know, it actually been a while since I'd seen this film. I think I saw it when it came out, but it was, uh, Elysium, <laughs> uh, Matt Damon and Jodie Foster. To be quite honest, uh, it's not my first pick and, uh, <laughs> we can reverse it, but that's fine. Yeah. Not the greatest I, movie in the world, but, uh, it is very, I mean, it's entertaining. It's certainly, uh, very much a dystopia. <laughs> I yeah. feel like you. I watched that movie on HBO something like when it first came out on cable, and it felt like Matt Damon was in like a almost like a a wrestling persona, like he was in the WWF, and like he was sort of like walking around with this weird facial expression, uh, and yeah. like you know, because didn't he have like some almost like electricity like running through like his, not running through his body, but he was like half machine, half man, half like Matt Damon from like Team America. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Matt> I mean, <laughs> he was definitely at his uh, peak fit, uh, peak fitness shape. There, it was. Uh, I mean, honestly, like, I, 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 it's not. It's if you haven't seen it, I, I would say like go see it. But you know, <laughs> don't spend money it's, on it. It's, uh, I'm enforcing this on. number one pick, but it's my number one. I'm just no one. All right, Preston, yeah. thanks, for, thanks for that Elysium bit. And we're going to move on to my number one pick, which... Uh, we're, we're redoing that. We're, uh, we're going to move on to my number one pick, because we got to keep on. Joe's got, you know, dinner to serve or dinner to eat. We're going to move on to my number one pick, which is... I'm surprised no one picked this. It's Blade Runner. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give this a shout-out to who's also my favorite author. So Philip K. Dick who has written so many sci-fi dystopian movies or sci-fi dystopian short stories and novels that have been uh, turned into movies. So he wrote Blade Runner, which is based on my favorite book called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, Total Recall, Scanner Darkly, Minority Report, some movie called Next, which I've never seen, but Adjustment Bureau and uh, his book Man in the High Castle, which is also a TV show now on Amazon Prime. So I'm sort of just throwing that all out there. I'm going to just say Philip K. Dick as my favorite, maybe dystopian author, but I'm selecting Blade Runner because it's just so, so good. And also was made almost 40 years ago. And if you almost watch the opening scene in that movie, it looks so, so good as far as special effects. It still holds up. It's great. Great movie. Uh, has a tear jerking scene at the end of it where you're supposed to, you know, <laughs> you can't, you know, uh, side with the uh, AI. You don't know if he's a man, or you, you're. That's the whole theme. Is, is when does the, somebody the famous quote comes from? Tears of rain. Yeah. 
Yeah. So obviously thematically, it's sort of like we've we've created something, but is it human? Is it not? What's the line? It's always ambiguous. They almost become human as they develop feelings or whatever. But I'm just talking about, you know, kind of Philip K. Dick and also the movie special effects are so, so, so good. Um, <clears throat> all right. So what we're going to do is we're going to move on to Waterworld now. So I, I don't know if you guys had too much to say about Blade Runner, but we're going to jump ahead to our discussion, our deep dive into Waterworld. So we're going to give a little brief explanation of it. It's uh, obviously set in a world that's covered in water. It's in 2,500 or something like that. Um, little joke here, but it's, I think it's either through, there's no explanation in terms of how the world gets covered in water. So I guess it's either global warming or Marvin Harry for home alone. The wet bandits let the sinks on a little too long. Uh, I can help you out on this one. <laughs> the polar ice caps melted and it, the sea level rose over 25,000 feet. So there's no land left. I know, but that's just so crazy because the polar ice, if they all melted, there's no way it would actually cover the whole Earth and plus 25,000. Like, it's just insane in terms of there's no way oh, that would actually. Well, dude, and they all wouldn't melt in one day. And we yeah. have a, enough time to, we like, know. You know, at least, like, build a boat, at least. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. So it, it is and a little bit here we have. The plot holes in water. <laughs> yeah, so the, just the setup's a little weird. So we got uh, Kevin Costner, who's a mariner, who's a lone sort of grizzled dude who's roaming the sea around, but he's also a mutant, which we'll get into. We have what's called <laughs> the Smokers. They are sort of, I can't tell if they're called the Smokers because they live on an oil tanker, which develops smoke, and they have sort of, or they just smoke all the cigarettes that they've sort of kept in their you know, whatever, in possession. And then there's the atoll, which is sort of maybe a kind of semi-peaceful peaceful, but socialized group of humans that uh, they don't want any trouble, but the smokers sort of bother them. Um, what we're going to do is we're just, as usual, we're just going to start off with maybe a, a couple main points. But I think anyone who's watching this or listening to this has seen Waterworld. So this was a Rod Bubman pick. So Rod, I gave the little brief description of it. You want to start us off with your favorite bit, and we'll just sort of move on from there, and then we'll get to um, our wheel picks soon. Okay, well, my favorite bit was um, when they've taken Enola, who's the girl with the map tattooed on her back, um, <laughs> when they've, like, taken her, and, you know, they're like, no one's coming to find you, and they're going through all that, and the little girl starts going... You know, he's going to come when you're least expecting it. And then she's my favorite part is when she says he doesn't have a name. So death can't find him. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, she's like, you know, he creeps up on you when you least expect it. And then Kevin Costner, like, jumps up out of the water like a dolphin. And you're right. The little girl is pretty prophetic, even though she has no education or anything like that. And she just, just because she has a map on her back, but she's quite elegant and also quite poetic. Uh, <laughs> in that, I think in that scene, she does more for Kevin Costner's character than Kevin Costner. <laughs> oh, Justin, I was about to say her performance was way better than Kevin's. Uh, performance is the only really good performance. Maybe <laughs> about just for a second though, that I'm sure you guys know and did the Wikipedia research like I did, but that's the girl from the Andre movie and also the girl from Napoleon uh, Dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Kevin Costner and the girl were on the set of Andre and they like happened to watch Mad Max and were like, hey, 
let's make this, but instead of sand, we're going to make it water. We're going to make it a steampunk version of Are you telling me that's how that happened? That's what I think the origins of this movie are. Robert, Rod, excuse me, we'll mark that up. Rod, you are quite right, though, in the sense that if you read the origins of it on Wikipedia, it says the writer and producer of it basically wanted to make a parody of Mad Max, but on water. So what I was wondering is it's so crazy that basically this movie is a parody of a movie, but... It got the biggest budget in Hollywood history at the time. So it was supposed to be like a less serious version of Mad Max, but based completely on water. And the guys, apparently some executives in Hollywood were like, let's throw $170 million at this asshole. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I did see how like uh, Kevin Costner had a lot to do with the directing and and, like scene by scene. It seemed like he was very involved, but. I did not get the sense that it was some kind of parody. It seemed like they were all pretty serious about what, what was going well, I on. Say but I mean, parody, like, they just, just, I shouldn't say parody, but they said there was an inspiration, and I'm sort of basing on a parody because I didn't think the film was that great or that serious. It seemed to be like like sort of ambiguously judge, trying to be between like comedy and serious at the same time. Like There were mo- moments where you went like, Am I supposed to laugh or am I supposed to think this is serious? Like, I just didn't really know. Like, it didn't seem to, like, settle on a tone too much. Like, it just wanted to be all sorts of different things, but it never really actually focused on one of them. I don't know if that's almost too much. I think uh, I'll just go ahead and segue into what I was going to say here. And (laughs) because it kind (laughs) of has to do with, I, I think, like, a microcosm of the entire film is that scene where, uh, they're all they're hungry and and you know he's with Enola and Helen and Kevin Costner just jumps off the boat. Yeah, and I've, I've got that written down. I'm sure everyone does. Avoids getting eaten by a massive sea monster, and then he like, or I think he gets eaten and he gets swallowed and then he explodes it from within or something. Yeah, and then, and then they're eating these tiny little fillets. No, then he slaps that bitch on the fire, and he's like, "Oh yeah, here you go." Like, yeah. I already got it filleted and everything. Is this what you wanted? They've been begging for food the whole time, and then he jumps up and uses himself as bait. And then we don't even know how it happened. We just see this like weird CGI giant fish, almost like Jonah and the whale, swallow up. And then the next scene is like, "Oh, I guess we killed him," and he filleted him up. Like we have no idea what he did. How we killed it. I guess he just used where, his knife or something like that. But well, I don't, really don't know what happened. Oh, he, and on top of where that, did the, the monster next, come from? Yeah, yeah exactly. No, the, and on top of ducks. that, there's a there's a scene a little bit later in the film where he's teaching Enola how to swim, and he explains away the absence of all the man eating sea monsters by the, oh they're asleep. <laughs> like okay bro yeah yeah they're asleep right now that's what i was gonna get at is there's so many things that they just try to like it's so underdeveloped where there's like oh they they just kind of throw it in the side or whatever like i said like there's no there's you would think if you're in sort of like this giant ocean society and we already have established that people have mutated or a few people i don't know how many people but have mutated to gills or whatever we society like i mean uh what do you want to say? Species turn tend to evolve. I'm trying to not get too much in Jurassic Park here, but you would think there would be tons of life underneath the ocean that they could catch, but it seems like they can't really catch too many fish. Like only there. Am I am I wrong there? It almost seems like there's an absence 
of like food there because they almost want to make it sound like so dire of a situation they they try to explain a way that they could actually fish or something like that or uh, what am what am i thinking no this wrong no you're what? you're right because no one else is fishing and everyone that's like <laughs> drifting in the water doesn't have food yet like kevin costner has this ability to troll behind his own boat with <laughs> with, with, with his own body yeah he could feed like I mean, he has the best bargaining chip of anyone in the movie, but he only uses it like once to appease the woman and Enola. Yeah, like he can go get dirt. He can go get dirt. It's like he went and did it, and then he just threw it back on the ground as if like I piss on this incredibly valuable resource that people want. Like fuck off! I'll tell you, I know how to get it, but I'm not going to actually take any of it of it back (laughs) up to the land. (laughs) And he got that like you know, clear H2O when he stopped at the atoll with his sand. Like, I don't know why he doesn't have just a ton of free water. Well, that's another thing I was... Go ahead, Joe, sorry. Oh, well, as long as we're pointing out plot holes, (laughs) they kept kept eating at me the whole time, and the the reason why I wasn't eating at the ships is, like, if you... Preston, you know this. Your dad had as a a charter boat. Like, if you get a rod and reel wet wet with seawater, if you look at it, it's going to start rusting. Like, how how on earth did the Exxon Valdez survive in the seawater for 500 years without <laughs> rusting to pieces? And then oh, on top man. of that, there's like a National Geographic that somehow made it underwater without dissol- <laughs> the paper dissolving. Well, I, I, I don't know, like, think that was underwater the whole time. I do think that was just because his boat was sinking. So that I can understand the National Geographic thing. But with the XFLDs, I think you're totally right. But it's also like that scene is so weird. I kind of wanted to bring this up. So we're kind of just going all over the place. But that's fine. This is just a crazy movie. To- hey, that's so just how the movie was. You know? <laughs> yeah. So when you're talking about that, when he pulls up to the XFLDs and he's on this jet ski, it's this really, really almost dark and uh, what do you want to say, like uh, foggy sort of morning. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. And so he pulls up to it and I, he like kind of like pulls up to like maybe – I guess it's a barn, like a, a like a like like not. I won't say barnacle. That's a giant barnacle on the side of the ship. And then he climbs up to the top of the ship, and it's bright and sunny, like it's like noon, right? Okay, so he sees what's <laughs> happening, and then literally he turns back around and he sees like two smokers are like, "Hey, this is a missing jet ski. What's going on?" And then he swan dives down, right? And he takes them out like. Uh, what do you want to say? Uh, like a fucking WWF wrestler from the top rope, like two guys, double like this, double arms, takes him out. And then he goes back on his jet ski after we already established it's bright and noon. And he goes, you remember, like he goes back to like where the holding place is, where they're like waiting for jet skis to come in. And it's back to being incredibly misty and foggy. And he's like doing this like perfect cinematic shot where they're like, Steve? Is that Steve? Is that Steve? Is that Steve? Just pull it in slow. Just yeah. pull it in slow. And then he just rams slow down. And then he just rams the throttle and he kills that guy against the side of the whatever. But it's it, it, yeah. it's so weird that he just goes perfectly bright to perfectly foggy to perfectly foggy. Like it's just it's stupidly fucking arranged. I don't understand how yeah. it worked, but like uh anyways, but that's, that's just how the that movie works anyways. Best, I don't really uh, care. That's probably the best death scene. <laughs> that guy got absolutely destroyed by that motorcycle. That I was like we, an Austin Powers or whatever. Stuff. 
We can all, I mean, like, dude, just a shadow of Kevin Costner on a jet ski standing up and then, like, patrolling back and forth and then just ramming the throttle. That was a scary moment, but also, I think, like, a piece of cinema history in terms of it just looked so good. But it it would have been... (laughs) It would have been a lot better if they were consistent in terms of the weather. But uh, I mean, yeah. I just didn't want to do that. <laughs> or if the movie was good. The filming schedule just didn't allow it, I guess. There's I some know. continuity issues. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> also, when he climbs up the side of the Exxon Valdez, it looked like it was just perfectly placed in terms of climbing. Like it was some like weird climbing wall. He just like, I, I mean, do you understand? Like, I know that. It's an old ship, obviously 5,000 years old, but it was just perfectly <laughs> looked like there were just slots for him to stick his arms and legs and climb all the way up. It was, I mean, again, I really don't care, but it was just a little too perfect in this time. Like, I feel like my eyes were rolling the whole time. But I think at that point in the film, you were just ready for whatever happened. Like, you weren't expecting anything to be perfect. Well, for $175 million, I was expecting a little bit more than a steampunk Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah it needed the film really needed <laughs> well, to, no, something I... to make you scared of the water, to like really make you want to get on land. And other than that, yeah. really CGI sea monster and Dennis Hopper's ribbon cigs, like there was no yeah. real incentive to like go out and find the island, you know. Like, it's like you're telling me this whole like we're all water now, and we get one lousy like. Weird ass looking sea bass. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you're right, Joe, that like the stakes were so low. I just thought they would have, in terms of being set on the ocean the whole time, I thought there'd be like some more like cinematic elements to it where like his trimaran was running close to like dolphins or something like that, or like a whale maybe came up and splashed or something like that. But yeah. it literally just looked like it was filmed in a giant sea world uh, pool the whole time awesome. with like a bunch. Uh, with like also, a bunch of jet skis. I feel like this movie was made to be a ride. Like, I feel like they had that planned out. Like, they already <laughs> had like the plans at Universal Studios, like for a ride next to Back to the Future or something. They're like, let's just make a movie so that we can get people on boats and throw in water. And- it's kind of funny you say this. This movie's twenty five years old, and that is the longest like serving attraction at Universal Studios in Hollywood. (laughs) So they have like big franchises like Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, Transformers, and other ones. But there's literally a giant bust of a movie in Waterworld that didn't make any money, but it actually is the most popular almost element at Universal Studios. I've seen it. It's actually a lot of fun or whatever, but it's crazy that... Like, uh, <laughs> that you're right, Rod, that, like, it almost maybe was sort of designed with marketing aspects in mind. I don't know. Yeah, not only that, yeah. Matthew, that it, there's, like, a, there's one in Singapore. I think there's oh, one. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it's got multiple, you know, there are multiple rides. It's not just the one in Universal Studios. There's one in Florida, California. I didn't even know that. Nuts. The one in California, like, literally, it's like a legit stunt show where, like, legit stunt people in movies are, like, that's their full-time job. And then they get jobs on, like, movies and, like, for stunts or whatever. But if they said what their job is, they're like, yeah, I'm, like, the jet ski rider at Universal <laughs> for the Waterworld movie or whatever. <laughs> that's they got, nuts. They got like, great health benefits, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> they make the smokers through. smoke the entire time. <laughs> well, is that Preston? Oh, I, I was just making a De- Deacon Dennis Hopper Deacon joke. What was it? 
Well, for, I think my did my uh, I think my uh, service dropped out there for a little bit, but I was I was just talking about his character because we hadn't really talked about him and how he just like when whatever he was going for, it seemed like he was going for that like high school football coach from the South <laughs> accent, you know, yeah, like yeah. Just, like I'm a Texas football coach uh, and I've got one fucking eye. <laughs> Okay. But then All he right, had so the, the yeah. He was like an you may not girl. recognize me. I used to. I always didn't look like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, can, what I, was that I, supposed I, to I mean? Probably, like, I, did they know each other? So I don't know, but I kind of tuned in and out. I, I should say, like, just you know, admitting I wasn't one hundred percent focused on this movie. Uh, I tried to be one hundred percent focused on it, but it seemed like did we get introduced him introduced him before he lost his eye and then they just had some weird throwaway scene where he just like let a child decide what his appearance would be he's like oh kids are always truthful so i'll just put my like uh blindfold back on or whatever like how did how did that happen did we see what happened with that or was it yeah that was he, his he inter- lost his eye in the in the initial assault on that uh that that hippie commune at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was called yeah. the one log <laughs> Yeah, where they were it's tossing that old lady in the compost heap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, can we talk about that? Because the way they want, because you can't drown Kevin Costner's character in water because he can breathe in their water. So they basically were like, let's throw him in the compost. That way he can't survive. <laughs> and that looks like the stuff in Hook, like the quicksand in Hook. Wow, funny well, you say that, because I got some Hook vibes at the very beginning. I thought Rufio was going to come out at one point with Deacon as like as his son. Oh, oh! Deacon came out in a red coat and the tricorn hat with the patch over his eye. He was clearly going for the pirate look at the end of the film. You remember when he was trying? He was trying to rally the troops to get him to row for a little bit more when they were going to mute him. <laughs> no, I was kind of hoping for a absolutely ridiculous of- in terms of like they. Uh, what do y'all think? They they've got all these motorized boats and vehicles and stuff like that, and and their mode of transportation was let's just you know get all these people some paddles, and they'll make a giant tanker move through the ocean type of thing. Like it's I well, <laughs> again I, we're talking about suspension of disbelief a little bit, but it just seemed yeah. like so so weird that they've got a whole hull full of oil, and they're like no let's just make it a rowboat just to be funny and cute. I would say their uh, entire operation was subpar at best. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, maybe they were just trying to keep the proletariat busy while they were thinking grand scheme or whatever, but it just right. seemed a little bit too much. How do we convince them that dry land is still <laughs> on the horizon? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, but it's, it is wild that they had like a whole community worth of maybe a thousand people. So it's like, let's just make sure they all row the boat. Like there's no other jobs. There's four guys in charge, but everyone else is a rower. So <laughs> if well, you want that, food or whatever. They were riding those jet skis like every goddamn day. And <laughs> I'm assuming that, you know, all this oil is left over in the tanker from 500 years ago, whenever the Exxon yeah. was whatever. So like how much, I mean, there was a scene where he was like, you know, Captain, we've only got, you know, four feet left of oil. And you're just like, Jesus, how, 
500 years and you've only used this much? You're like, that's well, a little bit let's, much. Let's also talk about just that. We're talking about a full world. Like the whole, uh, the ocean itself as it exists today, I'm sure we all know, is fucking massive. Now we're talking about the ocean covering the United States, Europe, Russia, China, whatever. How are these people sort of just constantly running into each other when there's literally a whole giant <laughs> earth covered in water? They don't have any GPS or anything. It's like they're all geolocated in the same goddamn spot. And it would take all that oil just to fuel those jet skis to go around and search for people. It, like I just always thought it, like when I was watching this, I was like, how many people actually exist in this world and why are they running into each other so many times? Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. And like if the... And where, and where are the fucking fish? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm tired of seeing all these, you know, ridiculous looking people. Well, to be honest, I thought he was going to go shark fishing when he was doing that. And then I did not expect there to be, like, some kind of mythical creature to come out of the <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you had no... Still, I still can't believe that fucking scene. I, I did not remember that at all. And then when it happened... I, I had to rewind it and pause it to see what it looks like. I just like, like how he like, it had, he like, it had like 10,000 fucking teeth. Like, <laughs> I like how he like wiggled around like a fucking worm to like attract a bass. Like it was just like, like it was like, and like he didn't put out any like smells or like bait or chum like in Jaws. It was just like, yeah, man, if I just get on the end of this reel, there's going to be a giant sea monster that's going to bite me. I thought he had gutted that Irishman and kicked him in the water right before he jumped in. What, I, that I, I, like that was like thirty minutes beforehand. I don't yeah, feel like those were the same. Well, you would think all these all these humans who haven't showered for years, they probably just their their general musk attracts sea monsters. Well, and you knew something was up with Costner when he wouldn't bang uh, Jean Triplehorn when she strips naked in front of him. It's like it smells terrible right now. <laughs> I mean, for 175 million, I at least could have gotten like one pair of titties. Uh, well, you got you got a fanny, Jeff. You got they one did, fanny. They did eventually bone That's though, it. like on the burning carcass of his <laughs> trimaran, which was in like the noon heat of the sun, which would have been so hot. And they were just on that metal thing. Like I, I feel like that would have been maybe the most uncomfortable sex scene of all time. It had to have been so hot on like that tin boat. In the middle of the noon sun, in the middle of the ocean, yeah. if it had to be 110 degrees, like laying on top of each other, it would have been. I mean, like I said, it, it would have been crazy and, and and incredibly uncomfortable. Rod, do you have any thoughts on uh, the sex scene? <laughs> I, I thought it was very strange too. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit awkward too because it's right after right that he like decides to like take her down to see what the world used to be like, right? That was a very, very odd scene. It was like almost, I shouldn't say odd scene, but we talked about earlier that sequencing, I think, is was a very weird element in this movie that things didn't maybe line up in terms of a uh, linear fashion. Or not linear fashion, but didn't really make too much sense. But that was right after they went, they saw, they almost got trapped by the smokers, Right. It was the big trap that they set for them. I'm like, I don't know what that station was or whatever, but they had the, the guys in the jet skis underwater ready with the nets or whatever. Do you remember that? I'm talking about yeah, like yeah, it, was yeah, the yeah. Big, it was the biggest trap. So anyways, they wind up escaping it by doing some like crazy sailing maneuvers where Kevin Costner is like leaning over the side of the boat or whatever, which I didn't I don't think his weight would have elevated the boat to escape the nets. But 
that doesn't really matter. But it's almost like five minutes later, like, oh, we escaped. Let's go down for a romantic swim underneath the ocean, as if like they didn't need to escape anymore. I, yeah, and they I, were there when they got up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they didn't think they would trail them or something like that. Like it's not like they escaped for miles and miles. It was just like, uh, I guess we uh, avoided the nets. Why don't we just take a romantic dive underneath the ocean? I'll show you what uh, the <laughs> Twin Towers used to look like or something like that. <clears throat> I think they. I think I, I always imagined they were over Denver because Costa comes <laughs> up wearing some ski boots at one point, and then you see a, a chairlift. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's the thing though. Like he's it, it. It goes from like almost New York City to almost like you said a chairlift. Like you said, like it yeah. goes almost. Like, I, I it really was like an amalgam of every single major thing that we love in terms of being on Earth that they just saw <laughs> yeah. in a glimpse in two minutes. And yeah. they they didn't see any giant fucking sea monsters to kill. Nope. It was like oh, only if you do the little waggle with your fucking feet, that's when you can catch one of those sea monsters. Otherwise, they're invisible. You had a you had a better chance of seeing like a, a Patagonia down there than a, a sea monster. <laughs> well, oh, and you got to make sure they're awake. <laughs> you know, yeah. they can't be asleep. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many like ridiculous moments in this movie. Uh, let's let's just jump forward to the ending. We're we're getting a little on time here, and then we'll do our final segment or whatever. Do you guys want to talk about the ending a bit? Just where Kevin Costner goes up and rescues the girl. So what happens is uh, we talked about a little bit is the the they're trying to save this girl who has a map to dry land tattooed on her back. Which if we get it to it on the questions, I've got a lot of questions about that and how ridiculous that is. But um, that's a huge sequence at the end of the movie. It's kind of like 30 minutes long or whatever, where all sorts of shit happens. Uh, you guys have any thoughts on that or what do y'all think? Yeah, I kind of think I, my, well, my favorite part of the movie was Costner didn't have any lines. It was when he shot his, <laughs> that, um, that harpoon and he used it as a zip line to yeah. slide. <laughs> you know, that's your trailer moment where like the explosions in the background and he's got yeah. his, like Costner face on, he's all serious, and he's like, you know, looking like a crow magnon coming down the, you know, it was, it's amazing. So I that, mean, that his, was his legs should have broken into like four pieces when he made <laughs> yeah. that move. <laughs> and the and the thing is, the little girl in the front seat of that airplane, like he's causing it to crash. Like nine times out of ten, that's probably killing that little girl. Like they yeah. don't have any seat belts in that thing. Like. Uh, <laughs> I don't think oh. you can like legitimately bungee jump off of a hot air balloon in terms of, like weight. I really don't think you could do that. Well, not, not that it really matters because this movie, like we said, so crazy. But like you couldn't just. I really. I think it would drag the whole thing down. But well, the, yeah, like you said, that, that movie's that, that scene's crazy. Did you guys realize all... that Jack Black was the pilot of that airplane? What? What? No, that's not. Yes, no. he is. I looked Shut at the up. cast on uh, Wikipedia, and Jack Black, I, I heard no. him talk, and I was like, is that Jack Black? No, it's the Where dude. I, I looked it up. I looked it up. It's the it's the dude from the mustache from uh, the uh, Sister Act movies. My, Michael like Jeter. Yeah, it's the cook from the Sister Act movies who like goes around with a sausage in the Sister Act movies. Sister Act 1, Sister Act 2. I'm looking at it right now. It's Jack Black as smoker plane pilot. That's the smoker plane pilot. You're, I thought we were talking about the hot air balloon pilot. Uh, no, I'm no. sorry. Not Gregor. Not Gregor. I'm sorry. The, okay. Uh, the, the, the Cessna miss... that, yeah, the Cessna that's flying around. Okay, I missed that. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, was ta- I thought you were talking about the uh, hot air balloon one. Yeah. Gregor yeah. is definitely the uh, MVP, though, of the entire film. 
he just comes in and out and he rescued them twice. I mean, just, I mean, again, I guess your point about the vastness of the ocean, he was able to spot the smoke of the ship. Like, again, unreal. And it's also crazy that like, as far as if you have a hot air balloon and like, uh, whatever you're able to see so much further, but it's, he never was able to just sort of go and look for dry. I, I don't know. Like I said, it, I guess it is sort of a pinpoint in the middle of a vast, vast ocean. But we got Kevin Costner's character who's like, I've been everywhere. I've searched everywhere. You can see all my medallions from all the places I've been. But uh, the guy with the hot air balloon who can literally like see for miles and miles has never even come close to finding dry land or whatever. <clears throat> um, doesn't really matter too much. But any final thoughts on uh, the movie, Rod? I know you love love this movie you got anything you got to add before we um, get to the wheel, i, I want to introduce joe to the wheel i think he's gonna love it yeah let's, <laughs> let's get it rolling let's roll well, let's, uh rod do you, you got anything to add before we get rolling mr button um, nothing to add let's do it wow <laughs> matthew's in awe oh okay Leave it or I love it. Am I still here? Okay. Number two is half man, half fish. <laughs> number three, number three is I scream, you scream, we all scream for more pee. Uh, number four, Mad, <laughs> Mad Max, Mad Max Fury, Open Ocean. Number five, we know cartography real good. That's in reference to Joe being a geography bee champion. Uh, number six is goat in the water, goat in the water. Y'all won't get that reference because I asked oh, if y'all know Nathan for you. No, no, number eight is, or number seven is the whammy, which we never actually roll, which I'm disappointed. I can't add that sound effect. Number eight is I'm married to the sea, but number nine, <laughs> you're the producer. And number 10 is a respin. So what we're going to do is we're going to let Joe, we're going to spin the wheel here. I don't know if you can see it. And then the question is going to be for you. We all kind of get to answer it. But, Joe, you're going to be the first one to get it. The wheel is spinning. The wheel is spinning. It's no exciting. Stop. Oh, number one. That's Ripley's Believe It or Not. I think we kind of touched some of this. But uh, this movie isn't grounded in reality. So there's plenty of suspension of disbelief. But what was the most outrageously unrealistic eye-rolling moment that happened in this film for you? I've got a list of things if you want me to list them, but if you've got one on top of your head, go for it. The most unrealistic thing would have to be, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit earlier in the film, but just the whole aqua dynamics with how, you know, things rust and just the whole (laughs) life on the water just wasn't seemed to be captured in this film. And I believe that for 175 million, like they could have gotten some, you know, some New Zealanders or somebody that are on the sailing <laughs> team to let them know that, like, you know, you, they were going to have to do some other set design other than a steampunk uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Preston or Rod, you got anything unrealistic that you really want to add to this? I think everyone knows how I feel about the fish. <laughs> uh, and not to mention, when if you, if you also, if you slow down and pause it, when it comes up to the water, it's like, on it's li- it's on its side like it's lying down in this weird like they did it looks like they didn't finish creating it and so they're they just like, like hide. 
Yeah, it's just it's just shit CGI work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't, well, <laughs> I yeah, I don't understand. Like, clearly, Kevin Costner can survive at sea for you know for an infinite, indefinite amount of time, right? He can troll from behind his boat and catch those blubber whales by himself all the time. Why hasn't he found dry land? Your question. Okay. Yeah. So we're spinning the wheel again. Hopefully, there aren't too many technical issues. This is going to be a big pain in the ass. So, uh, number five, Joe Fine, this is for you since it is a uh, geography question. It's called Me No Cartography Real Good. Um, <laughs> you have found the only piece of dry land in the world, and you have a child, like in the movie. Would you painfully tattoo a map on her back in the off chance that some <laughs> people could find you? Or would you do the same thing and just not worry about it? <laughs> And let those people find dry land for themselves. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely tattooing that kid. <laughs> I feel like, you know, as long as it's not me, yeah. I'm okay with it. <laughs> uh, so, so you got rudimentary tools here, Joe. You probably got some like, uh, you know, hardened sticks and a little bit of ink that you sort of, I don't know how you've made it or whatever, but. <laughs> yeah, it sounds just, like a prison tat going like going terrible. Yeah, so uh, like, what are you doing to muzzle the sound of her pain? <laughs> are you yeah. just like holding her mouth, or what are you doing as you as you painfully tattoo this? And not only are you painfully tattooing it, you've got to get the exact like design correct, oh, right? It's because you got to know. Yeah, you get that's the map of the world. It's the size of like just her shoulder blade. You got to be precise in detail. So what are you doing? Oh, you you would have to. You know, give her a bunch of hydro. Or the, <laughs> uh, the drink was, and knock her out. You know, you you, you couldn't operate on the patient still still with you. Um, but yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, no honestly, way. would you want people coming to find your island? Would you even want a tattoo her? So that's, no, that's, that's a, it's a that's moral dilemma. I, I mean, the, the I'm assuming these parents know that there's not. They're not going to just get like cool people coming. There's the off chance that the whole smoker gang finds a girl, obviously, yeah. and they get invaded by this whole group of shitheads. Uh, why would you even risk it? And like, send, we don't even know how like the girl got sent out to sea in a part of the community or whatever. But uh, Rod, what, what would you do with like this little girl? Like, if you had this, I, I would just just say, hey man, I found the island. I'm cool. I don't need anybody invading my privacy. Um. Yeah. Like you, I would. Probably just go to the island uh, via the map. <laughs> yeah, there's absolutely no reason to uh, tattoo a map onto your, you know, your only daughter, and then hope that she, you know, finds your friends or something like that. It's such a weird investigation. Is Preston involved, or should we? <clears throat> I can't hear Preston. Yeah, I think I think Preston's pressing I mean, your audio. It's not a map to the cushion. Okay. All right. So Preston's back. Your audio was a little messed up. All right. So we're going to do two more spins and then we're going to give a rating. This has been a crazy episode in terms of the audio situation working. Uh, I don't even know. We don't have two half man, half fish. We're going to give this one to Rod because uh, I just want to dish it out to Rod. Okay, Rod, half man, half fish. Are you disappointed that we didn't see any more mutants in the movie? And what did you have liked more of the Mariner's backstory 
were his parents normal and he just was a mutant baby or was his mom like a mermaid half man half fish and his dad was like what do you think was going on with his parents situation and would you have liked to know basically i think they allude to it earlier that basically he was a mutant because he had been eating seafood and the ocean had been poisoned with all the stuff that people had been doing. And did I miss this a hundred percent? So he's like a mutant. Ninja I, turtle? I, I just took this away. I don't, you may have taken something. So different. are you saying he, he ate at red lobster? one two, <laughs> <laughs> He ate a lot of mercury infested fish. So lobster. Like a, like a nuclear bomb exploded in the sea and there was tons of radiation and he just ate all the shitty fish that were there and he turned into a mutant. Is that what we're getting at? Or like, how's this I, th- I think he grew up on a boat and they used to fish a lot. And that's why no one else is eating from the sea is because all the fish <laughs> have too much, let's just say mercury or something. So we're almost saying the, the global warming was from a nuclear holocaust or something like that. Is that you know, what we're getting at? I think we're just getting at even a morsel of whatever Budman is talking about would have, <laughs> would have made Kevin Costner's character that much better. Uh, was, well, let's just talk about this so in bad. general. Like, let's just talk about this briefly in general. Like, there, like Joe alluded to earlier, there was so little backstory that was going on with all these characters. Maybe let's just throw this out there. Of all the characters that were involved, who would you have liked to know the most in terms of their history? Because we got zero from basically anyone. I'm I mean, definitely going to go with the hot chick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, in terms of the film being better, I mean, it seems like the Mariner is the obvious choice because he's just so dull of a of a lead character. He's, you know, he's kind of, I guess he's kind of an anti-hero, but he's not likable. I, I mean, I, okay, he's got gills. He doesn't have, like, the action chops, I wouldn't <laughs> say, to make it impressive. It's almost like he's just better than the stupid people who are the smokers if that makes sense like he's i wouldn't say like he's like mad max fury road where he almost like does like impressive stuff he's just more like oh yeah you defeated the stupid guys congrats like it's like it's like you just don't know too much about him but he doesn't really accomplish enough in my eyes to where you almost like idolize him as someone that's badass you're just like oh that's cool whatever you beat up some drunk asshole who like wanted to rape some girls that's the only like impressive thing he did besides i guess the end or whatever <coughs> wow harsh words for the mariner yeah, well, <laughs> i know uh not a big Junior fan over here um all right so we'll spin it one last time and then we'll give our ratings i could have used a little bit more backstory on the giant fish <laughs> yeah exactly all right uh, we kind of talked about this, uh, but this one's called Goat in the Water, Goat in the Water. It's a reference to Nathan. <laughs> it's a reference to Nathan for you, but you guys don't have never seen it. But anyways, all right, so we kind of talked about this a little bit, but there's only two instances in the movie where we see something that isn't human life. There's a giant fish we talked about, and then there's the uh, seagull at the end of the movie. Uh, are we surprised there wasn't actually more instances of aquatic life or did y'all want more or how did it work out in y'all's eyes? <clears throat> did y'all want to see like maybe more interactions with aquatic life since this whole movie was called Waterworld? I mean, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the biggest disappointment of the film. Well, yeah. I think, that, I think in the first scene, because 
uh, like you, Matthew, you were saying that there's an absent impression. You were saying there's an absence of sea life, and they didn't really build up the fact that there could be like these alien forms of sea life in the in the ocean. But for one scene at the beginning, at that in the commune, when it, it kind of, the camera kind of pans up for a, like a you know like a what do you call it? a landscape shot and it's showing these people hacking off like a megalodon or something like cleaning it right <laughs> oh, you yeah. know what i mean and you're like yeah okay and that's really the only thing you see like well, there sea was like, there was a scene like right you remember when they dive down to go see like the uh you know the hidden landscape on on the bottom of the ocean or whatever you see the little girl on the trimaran and then two like shark fins go underneath yeah. the trimaran I didn't know if those were actual sharks or if those were smokers like having shark yeah. fins on their back or something. I, uh, but I think even they were actual if the, sharks, which even if they against... weren't actual sharks, the implication is that sharks exist and we never actually saw them. So it doesn't matter like what it is. We just you, do you understand like even if they were trying to fool the little girl or people on the trimaran, the implication is oh shark fins are a natural occurrence in this world, but we never actually saw that. So it's almost, uh, I wish there were more interactions with the aquatic life, it, just to make it more interesting. It was very, very dull in that sense. I, I, that's, I mean, like how said, cool would it have been if the Mariner like showed up to where the smokers were, the Exxon Valdez, like on the back of a giant mutant <laughs> shark? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, both he of them have, around he in the water. He should have been able to like had... call the fishes or something, you know, with his gills. I mean, his yeah, his mutation should have been more just breathing underwater. It should have been able to, like I said, have an Aquaman vibe that he could have at least related to him. Like, almost like where he dives underwater and has, like, an intimate connection with them in the terms of, like, he looks dead in their eyes and they kind of look back at each other and he kind of hugs them. They kind of go back, like, oh, yeah. maybe this is a little too much too soon. And they go back and hug each other. No, I, I want this kind of thing. Like, it's We're just... Going in. <laughs> Like, I'm scared of this relationship being too close, but no, let's go for it if you really want to. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm ready have with that you are. I'm ready with you are. I've been wanting this. I know that my, my, my feelings are hurt a little bit, but I'm ready to get hurt again. Uh, like, <laughs> have, should have that relationship with all the aquatic animals. That's, that's what I'm getting at. At least some sea turtles. Come on. <laughs> um, Give us a mermaid. Yeah. A whale or two. That's what I wanted. I wanted well, a mermaid. So funny, from... you see, you see, like regular, what we think are regular sharks, but then you still have that inexplicable, like sea monster from earlier. It's wondering <laughs> yes. how, how are you going to show us this this crazy <laughs> monster, and that's it. That's all we yeah, get. Of it. We don't have any establishment. <laughs> well, back then, you know that those two minutes of CGI so probably cost sixty million dollars. <laughs> Or we have no idea. Like, it's, oh no, my connection. Shit, <laughs> fuck my dirty asshole. <laughs> leave it. You gotta leave that. You gotta leave that in. Spin the wheel. Okay. All right. So what we're gonna do now is we're. <laughs> At least we got through the wheel barely. Well, if I ever come back on, I'll. Uh... I'll host the chat because I've got a thousand up, a thousand down. Let's just wait for Matthew. And I think what we need to do is uh, go spin the final wheel to see what we watch. Are you back? 
five G guys. I don't know what the deal is going on tonight. You're feeling like a two G guy today. Yeah. I don't know. It's about a G and a half. Yeah, we just spend any more. Let's give our rankings. We're gonna let Joe go first. You rate the movie Waterworld one through hundred. You can use decimal points. Uh, okay, I'll go. Uh, I'll go sixty nine. You know, it's, it's, it's not a passing grade, but it was fun. It was funny enough in kind of a sophomoric humor type way to where you could enjoy it on a plane ride. I'd say. <laughs> so you weren't enjoying it on your couch. You were basically it was a chore watching it, and you were like, "Fuck, I can't believe I had to watch this to do this podcast with our friends," type of thing. You were like, uh, no, no, "I no, wish no, we no. were watching." No, 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 it wasn't definitely not a chore to watch. It was, uh, it was just, it, it was funny in its inept. It, it was, it was funny in its ineptness. We can talk yeah, about. yeah, perfect word. All right, Preston, go for it. Well, you know, I think we, I think we need these films every once in a while to uh, review and, and make fun of and kind of laugh about. <laughs> I, I see no problem in that. I will say that watching it was, <laughs> it did feel like a chore at times where where I'd rather. <laughs> I'd rather have been working than watching it, but ooh, uh, ooh. I give it a I give it a, a sixty five. I'd rather be mowing my grandmother's lawn than watching Waterworld by Preston Barnes. Uh, <laughs> Robert, this was your pick. Like um, I'm gonna give it a seventy one. I feel like everyone's going so low. Rod, this was your pick, and you're going to I feel like you're like succumbing to peer pressure a little bit by going, okay, everyone's I mean, going to you, know, you guys take, it's, I'm taking my movies to the gamut every week coming here with y'all. And, <laughs> like, gonna, you, you, yeah. you made me question the plausibility of Mrs. Doubtfire. And I mean, I'm one who I didn't even question Waterworld. I didn't even think about there being more fish. And they're definitely, <laughs> you made a good point. There should have been way more monsters in this it movie. Rod, it would have been a lot better. Size. Waterworld is happening right now, but we yeah. just can't see it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey man, it is. On the Pacific Ocean right now. Like, Basically, Rod thinks Waterworld is the shores of Somalia right now. Um, so I'm going with uh, my Matthew Scott pick, Matthew Scott rating, which is what everyone wants to hear is going to be. I'm going to give this a 70. I'm just going to, I'm always trying to meet right in the middle of everyone's picks because, you know, I'm not controversial or anything. Um, <laughs> Did Pokey so, give it a 60 or a 65? Give it a 65. Okay, nice. 65 taps. Rounds up to 70, but we'll let it slide. <laughs> All right, so we're going to pick our film for next week. I mean, we're always happy to have Joe on again. He's picked 71. Uh, but what we're going to do is number one is The Gift. Number two is Last, Last Days of American Crime. Another uh, Rod Budman pick. Number three is Bad Boys. Number four is Good Boys. Five, 71. That's the uh, Joe Fine Classic. Number six, Inside Man, which just got added to Netflix. Seven, Us. Eight, Mud, which... Is <laughs> 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 And number nine is uh, Air Force One, which I just added to it. All right, so the wheel is spinning. This is going to be what we review next week. Wait, is Bridges of Madison County not on there still for number 10? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. It's nine. So we're doing Air Force One. We finally got a Matthew Scott pick on. Preston still without pick on the wheel. <laughs> I feel like the wheel is – okay, I mean – the wheel doesn't like long hair and dirty hippies. So um, we're going <laughs> to live it by another day. 
Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to sign out right now. Joe, do you have a tagline you want to sign out with? Uh, we were incredibly happy to have you on. I know the technical difficulties were inconvenient, but like I said, I'm tickled to the bone to have a special guest, especially one with a distinguished mustache. Well, th- well, thank you, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> anytime, as the uh, I, the boogie woogie man from La Louisiana, I'll see you next time. <laughs> Rod, uh, we always know you got your ending tagline. All right, y'all. Just gotta poke around. <laughs>
side, I'll be on your side. There is no reason for you to hide. It's so hard for me staying here all alone. 